Hi everyone, this is For We Are Many, and this is our segment on the evolution of Eugene V. Debs following the Pullman strike. Thank you for joining us. My name is Trisha. I'm Rob. We will be I your hosts this evening. Indeed. Uh, this is um, a, a following up of some of the previous history segments that we've done that discussed, you know, the, the beginnings of the unions and the influence that Eugene Debs had on that. And so we felt that this story deserved more coverage to continue to follow him through his life and his badassery. Seriously. So uh, just a little <clears throat> reminder for everybody. Well, actually, first of all, I'll tell you what we're going to be talking about today. Um, the Social Democracy of America. Uh, Eugene Debs was a key founder in that, which merged into the Social Democratic of America, um, which merged into the Socialist Party of America. And uh, just just to point it out, um, the Socialist Party USA uh, was split from that party when they changed their name. So, yeah. Um, if you like what we do, uh, contribute to our Patreon. Uh, One to ten dollars a month. We have a couple uh, funny, I guess, troll tiers for uh, specifically for Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos. Um, you know, if one of their dragon asses wants to donate. <laughs> no, in the meantime, uh, we're and, giggles. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, but no, in reality, every dollar helps. We do have overhead costs that we're paying out of our pocket. Just like you, we're working class individuals. It's not like it's not like we uh, are making, it's not like we're trying to really make any money off of this really, but helping pay the bills yeah. would definitely be right. nice. Help covering just even the costs of, you know, the, the programs that we use to run all of this stuff would be great. All right, so uh, I guess we can dive right in. Um, first things first, the social democracy of America. Give me just a second. I'm sure AKA the Cooperative Brotherhood. Right. I like um, that name. Right. It was a short-lived political party in the U.S. that sought to combine the planting of an intentional community with political action in order to create a socialist society. Um, it was an organizational forerunner of both the Socialist Party of America, which we'll talk about later on, and the Burley Washington Cooperative Socialist Colony. I'm gonna have it to. Was, I'm gonna have huh? to look into that. The right. Burley, yeah. <laughs> That's got me curious too. Like, hmm, place to take the RV? No. <laughs> um, but yeah, the Social Democracy of America was founded June 15th, 1897, and dissolved in 1900 um, when that split happened and ended up becoming multiple others. Um, 
It was preceded by the American Railway Union and succeeded by the Cooperative Brotherhood, we just mentioned in Social Democrat Democratic Party of America. Which we'll also um, be talking about. <laughs> and their ideology spans from democratic socialism to utopian socialism, um, left-wing, obviously. Right, so uh, just a little bit to say on that, the utopian socialism, I mean, we also have to remember that Lenin hadn't written yet. So all that means is that they didn't necessarily agree with Engels on his scientific socialism, which I happen to agree with Engels on his scientific socialism. But that's another conversation altogether. Right. You know, maybe we should do another segment breaking down the differences between just even those specific types of socialism so people are aware of the difference. That would make a good segment. Yeah, it would. I mean, honestly, kind of, it'd be kind of a long piece, but if we were to compare like a more broad left wing, you know, cover various um, forms of anarchism and socialism, right. just kind of like, I mean, obviously that'd have to be a fairly quick rundown to do that in one piece, but yes, we. We actually we should do like a mini series of that. Agreed. Yeah. Then we can get into more detail and be able to show the parallels as well as the differences yeah. um, between those ideologies. And right. and where where it's applicable, kind of show the evolution. Right. Because Which I mean that's that's a big part of what I want to do with you know talking about the Paris Commune. And then talking about the Communist Manifesto, or actually, no, I got that backwards. Talking about the Communist Manifesto, which hadn't been released yet, but it was being worked on. And then the Paris Commune happened, right? So that heavily influenced the book. Um, yeah. But that's, they... that's what Marx and Lenin referred to as the dictatorship of the proletariat. Precisely. Of... And people misunderstand that because of the use of the word dictatorship in the term, but it literally means that the power is now in the hands of a proletariat, as in the people, instead of in the hands of one or a few people, that we are then dictating our own path, not having it told to us, being trained into it, because that's the only way to psychologically condition somebody to put up with capitalism anyway that could be a whole nother fucking rant yes it very could. long yeah yeah it really could but uh, so we recently the did a piece on the i'm sorry i thought you were done go ahead i'm pretty sure you're probably about to say roughly the same thing i was that last week we were talking about the pullman strike <laughs> yeah and this picked up right right where that left off after he got jailed for that so yeah yep um, so basically while he was in jail in the aftermath of the Pullman strike because the mail was stopped and he was charged with the federal federal crime for that um, he was introduced to socialism in prison I forget who it was but there was someone who visited him and gave him some reading material and he came out of prison a socialist and that being said he did support william jennings bryan in the 1896 presidential race 
but he announced his conversion to socialism in 1897. Uh, in June 1897, he held a convention of the American Railway Union in Chicago, where it was decided to merge the ARU with a faction of the Brotherhood of the Cooperative Commonwealth and other elements to create a new organization, the Social Democracy of America. The paper of the ARU, Railway Times, was retitled to become the official organ of the new organization, the Social Democrat. The convention establishing the SDA was opened on June 15, 1897, in Ulitz Hall in Chicago, the former headquarters of the ATW during the Pullman strike. The session was attended by 118 delegates, predominantly from the Midwest and Western United States. The keynote address to the convention was delivered by Gene Debs. <laughs> um, Among the elements that joined in forming the new party was a faction of independent Midwestern socialists centered around Victor Berger. This mainly German-American group uh, kept up a loosely organized social democratischer. <laughs> I don't know, I uh, don't know if I destroyed that pronunciation or not, but maybe. Um, and published the oldest socialist daily in the country, the Milwaukee Vorwärts. Uh, this tendency emphasized electoral socialism, especially in local politics, in order to appeal to workers on issues of immediate day-to-day -day importance. Prominent American adherents to this faction included Seymour Stedman and Frederick Key. Well, the While the SDA, SDA was me. <laughs> Jinx. Right? I waited a moment. You didn't start, so I started. <laughs> yeah, I know. There was definitely a pause there. You're good. Yeah. Uh, well, the I'm SDA was being... Okay, we're going to either have to edit this or we're just going to give everybody... I have a fucked up sense of humor. <laughs> While the SDA was being organized, there was some factional trouble within the older Socialist Labor Party. Some elements within the SLP's Jewish membership, concentrated in Manhattan's Lower East Side, had objected to the party's dual unionism policy. As a consequence, the party's Yiddish language papers... Um, were put under direct party control. When the dissidents responded by launching the Jewish Daily Forward and forming press clubs to influence party activity among Jewish members, the party leadership expelled the 4th, 5th, and 12th Assembly District branches Sorry, <laughs> on July 4th. The expelled branches held a convention the 31st of July to August 2nd, at which they decided to affiliate with the SDA. Uh, among the prominent members of this faction were Abraham, Abraham Kahan, Meyer London, Isaac Auerwich, Orwich, one of the two, Morris Winchevsky, Michael Zemetkin, Max Pine, and Lewis E. Miller. Those were some hard names, bro. What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Indeed. Especially when it comes into like, uh, you know, pronunciation of certain things where like in German, oftentimes W's are the, <laughs> not what. Anyway, in St. Louis, the local SLP branch had published its own paper, Labor, in the early mid early to mid 90s. 
uh, edited by Albert Sanderson and Gustav Hohn, which showed independence from the SLP leadership and also opposed the dual union policy. This paper's editorial policy was condemned and the paper disaffiliated with the party at its 1896 convention, but ill feeling toward the party leadership continued. In January 1897, the St. Louis local readmitted a member named Priestbach into the party after he had left in 1896 to work for William Jennings Bryan's campaign. The vote for readmittance was 28 to 24 in Priestbach's favor, which was less than the two-thirds prescribed by the SLP Constitution. On petition of loyal members, St. Louis local was reorganized and the distant members went into the new SDA. This contingent was bolstered in August 1897 when the SDA was joined by the remnants of the Social Democratic Federation, a predominantly German language group headed by Wilhelm Rosenberg, which had split off from the SLP in 1889. From the very beginning, there were divisions in the group between those who saw its main purpose as winning office, introducing socialistic legislation, and those influenced by the BCC idea of trying to socialize a Western state by planting socialist colonies there and eventually taking over its government. Nevertheless, a three-man colonization commission crisscrossed the country, visiting possible sites, especially in Colorado and Tennessee. Damn. I mean that a lot of other Marxists have written about uh, building socialism and that's essentially what we're seeing here. You know, that's a hell of a lot more than the social democrats today or the democratic socialists, whatever. Right. These I mean, that, I can't say that work. because some democratic socialists do put in like work in the community but that that's not the point i didn't it, mean to cut you off though <laughs> oh no it's all good um i was just thinking like you know that that shows a very distinct difference between those who think that just pushing for these policies will fix it all versus those who are like no we need to actually pound the pavement and go talk to people because, you know, that, that change comes from having support in numbers. Like even, even if, you know, somebody who is an actual leftist gets, you know, put in office, um, unless they have support for those bills, they're gonna have a hard time getting them passed. It takes both, it takes the groundwork, at least if you're gonna take that path of using legislation to enact these changes. Right. <laughs> Uh, okay. The SDA began as a Chicago-centric organization. According to the published statement of Secretary Sylvester Collier, during the organization's first month of existence, there were 50 branches established, of which 11 were located within the city of Chicago. Galeer also indicated that more than 300 applications for the establishment of new branches had been received in the same period, of which 20 were located in this urban center of the Midwest. Galeer also stated that there were another 75 local lodges of the ARU, which voted to join the SDA and Block. 
By the time the SDA's convention on June 7th, 1898, there was already a great deal of tension between the colonizationists and political actionists. The latter group, accusing the former of trying to pack the convention with delegates from recently formed paper branches in the Chicago area. The divisions came to a head on June 10th when the convention heard the reports of its platform committee. The majority report, presented by Victor Berger and Margaret Hale, recommended the abandonment of the colonization uh, scheme. Minority, my, wow. The minority report, written by John F. Lloyd, but read to the convention by J.S. Ingalls, favored the two-pronged approach adopted a year earlier. The platform question caused long and bitter debate, lasting until 2 a.m. the next morning when a roll call vote showed 53 for the colonization platform and 37 against. With the defeat of the political action platform, Isaac Auerwitch led a walkout of the minority to Revere House across the street, where the dissidents founded the Social Democratic Party of America, and with which in 1901 would merge with other groups to become the Socialist Party of America. That's kind of the evolution we're discussing today, generally. Um, the majority attempted to carry out their colonization uh, scheme, and they published three more issues of the Social Democrat, but financial difficulties made them halt the fourth issue while in type. Fearing that the organization might go under if a colony was not established immediately, they authorized Cyrus Field Will, uh, Willard <laughs> to locate a colony and do what, in his judgment, appeared the right thing to do. Willard uh, went to Seattle to consult with SDA <laughs> member J.B. Fowler, who pointed out the good harbors on southern Puget Sound, where they found Henry W. Stein, who was sympathetic to them politically and had just become the executor of some land in rural Kitsap County that was open for sale. In September 1898, the SDA reincorporated in Seattle as the Cooperative Brotherhood, and on October 18th, they purchased 260 acres for $6,000. Damn. Um, <laughs> gotta put that in 1898 dollars, you know, like... Right, yeah. Spending power. Holy shit. Um, well, I mean, if they got... Look at, look at where it's at, though. If they got harbors, I mean... Right. <laughs> uh, the first colonists arrived on October 20th, 1898. A new organizational structure was put into place with members paying a dollar initiation fee and one dollar monthly dues. The intention being that such substantial dues would provide a constant monthly income to subsidize the initial phase of the colonization effort. In addition, a rather far-fetched prospectus was issued, proposing the generation of $5 million in operating capital through the sale of $10 shares of non-dividend paying stock, with additional funds raised through sale of low-interest bonds to supporters. Uh, national headquarters were established in Seattle. Wow. While never reaching more than about 120 inhabitants, the colony thrived for a few years. Originally named Brotherhood, the inhabitants gradually began to refer to it as Burley after the nearby Burley Creek. A colony script was created that included a $1 denomination for an eight-hour workday and smaller units called minims for minutes workers over less than six hours. 
Circle City was the informal name of a group of buildings near the water. The colony subsisted on agriculture, fishing, and logging. They also made income selling cigars, jams, subscriptions of its magazines, and membership in the BC. It also rented out use of its mill and rooms in its Commonwealth Hotel for visitors. Colonization Commission Secretary Willard, who initially led the Washington colonization effort, departed in 1899 to join a Theosophist colony in Point Loma, California. The Brotherhood was later governed by a 12-man board of trustees who were elected by mail vote each December for four-year staggered terms. <coughs> a board of directors managed the affairs of the colony itself and was elected every January. Members of the corporative, cooperative sorry, Brotherhood, who were not residents of the colony, organized in local chapters called Temples of the Knights of the Brotherhood in places like Chicago. Its newspaper, The Cooperator, stayed in publication from December 1898 to June 1906. Originally an eight-page weekly, it changed to a 32-page monthly in 1902 and to a 16-page magazine in October 1903. The colony went into, went into decline in the late 1900s. In December 1904, some members reincorporated into the Burley Rockdale Mercantile Association, and three months later, the Cooperative Brotherhood itself reorganized into a joint stock company. By 1908, there were 150 members of the Brotherhood, only 17 resident of the colony. The trustees called a meeting of stockholders to dissolve the Brotherhood in late 19, 1912, but it lacked the two-thirds majority, whereupon those who were in favor of disbanding took the company to court. On January 10th, 1913, Judge John P. Young ordered the Cooperative Brotherhood dissolved and put its assets into receivership. The last of its properties was sold off in 1924. Um, so obviously, uh, Debs kept with, uh, during, during all this splitting and fracturing, he went with the Social Democratic uh, Party of America, which um it was very short-lived because it was part of a growth it was kind of a consolidation of the socialist movement in the united right. states instead of running you know 15 fractured fronts they were trying to narrow it down to running a front <laughs> uh you know right. a couple he was trying fronts. to unite the left <laughs> right um so the social democratic party of america was pretty short-lived as i just said um officially it lasted about three years but from the time uh when the social democracy of america was disbanded to um the dissolution was a couple of years um three years so we we're going to talk about the forerunners because uh we already talked about some of it, but there's other context to add in there. Um, following the defeat of the Bowman strike, Eugene Debs exhaustively read socialist literature to, provided to him by Milwaukee publisher Victor L. Berger and other independent socialists. Debs converted to the socialist cause, believing in the aftermath of the suppression of the ARU strike by federal troops, the trade union action alone was insufficient to bring about the liberation of the working class. 
In the same summer, smarting from a failed effort at establishing a socialist community near Tennessee City, Tennessee, publisher Julius Wayland established in Kansas City a new socialist weekly newspaper, Appeal to Reason, eventually moving the operation for financial reasons to a small town in southeastern Kansas called Girard. This paper was a major success, quickly gained a paid subscribership of 80,000 and invigorating the socialist movement. A new colonization project was conceived through this paper, the Brotherhood of the Cooperative Commonwealth, which aimed to seed an undecided Western state with socialist colonies and to electorally take over the government of that state, thus establishing a foothold for socialism in America. Debs was named the head of this project and the planets were thus aligned for the formation of a new national political organization. A convention of the remnant of the American Railway Union was called for on June 15th, 1897 in Chicago. So I just kind of want to interject here that I would I would argue that these socialist colonies didn't fail because then we had a bunch of red diaper baby babies in the Pacific Northwest and they're still there today. Look at the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone just for a, an example. That spirit was put there intentionally. And I do have to respect that, even if the colony itself failed. All right. Um, Formation. The convention which gave birth to the new organization actually began as a final conclave of the ARU, which opened Tuesday morning uh, June 15th, 1897, in Hondell Hall, Chicago. Director William E. Burns called the meeting to order, and A.B. Adair of the Typographical Union presided. President of the ARU, Eugene V. Debs, uh, delivered an address to the assembled delegates. Uh, sorry, <laughs> the first three days of the convention were occupied with hearing reports of officers and of committees and closing up the affairs of the ARU. On Friday, June 18th, the organization formally changed its name to the Social Democracy of America and adopted a declaration of principles. The convention was then thrown to delegates representing other organizations. Those represented included the Socialist Labor Party, the Socialist Trade and Labor Alliance, the Scandinavian Cooperative League, the Metal Polishers and Buffers Union. <laughs> Sorry, that one's a funny name, um, given like modern context. Um, the United Brotherhood of Carpenters and Joiners, the Chicago Labor Union Exchange, and an assortment of other organizations. Um, Hell yeah. So like, uh, we also talked about, we already did a piece on the IWW. Keep in mind, this is before that. This is leading up to that. This is how that was possible. Look at that list of organizations. And Dubs was trying to bring all of them together under quote unquote, one big union. Right. And have a political party to back it up. I mean, honestly, I think it says a lot to the success of the first Red Scare that it didn't fucking happen. Yeah. But yeah, it was, that's definitely where things were going. And that could have, that could have challenged Lenin, if you really think about it. Because Lenin said that electoral politics essentially were a waste of time. 
And they were like, well, not if you take over the whole damn system. <laughs> right. The way that they were using, you know, the steps of colonization to, you know, plant seeds of socialism in various places around the country in order to gain a foothold politically was fucking brilliant. Yeah. And I mean, I think that legacy still lives on today. Right. And it's just it's like, growing. Hey, Somebody found a positive use for colonialism. <gasps> well, I mean, it's not colonialism in the in the sense that, in the capitalist I, sense, I guess is how I should word it. Right. It's it's totally different type. They're not, you know, taking over someone else's country. They're strategically planning a foothold in their own. Right. Right. Uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, the social democracy of America initially did not have an official head. Its executive powers were vested in an executive board uh, with a chairman, Eugene B. Debs, merely presiding over the activities of that body. The unit of organization of the social democracy was the local branch of at least five members. So basically, uh, it was a very bottom-up model, um, which I would like to point out today, uh, that's what the Green Party and the modern Socialist Party USA are trying to do uh, behind a banner of left unity. This is like the, literally the type of bottom-up grassroots democracy that uh, Howie Hawkins campaigned on in 2020. Um, anyway, each of these local branches uh, was to elect a single representative to the state union, the state-level governing body. On the first Tuesday in May, all the state unions were to assemble and elect one representative each to the National Council, which was in turn to meet on the first Tuesday in May and elect a five-member executive board of that, which was to hold office for a term of one year. An initiation fee of 25 cents was set and monthly dues pegged at 15 cents per month. One of the organization, office, sorry, of the organization was established at 504 True Building, corner of Randolph and Wabash Aves, Chicago. The Social Democracy of America proved to be a short-lived and disparate group of Marxists, trade unionists, especially veterans of the ARU, Owenite socialists, populists, and unaffiliated radicals. The party initially sought to establish socialist cooperative colonies. In August 1897, a three-member colonization committee was established, consisting of Colonel Richard J. Hinton from Washington, uh, Wilf P. Borland from Bay City, Michigan, and Cyrus Field Willard of Chicago. This trio explored the possibility of establishing a colony to see the future, future corp. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Let's try that again. This trio explored the possibility of establishing a colony to see the future cooperative Commonwealth in the Cumberland Plateau of Tennessee. As an associated side project seems to have made a concrete proposal to the city of Nashville to construct 75 miles of railroad for the city, a project which would put to work the blacklisted and unemployed former members of the ARU and social democracy and help to build the notion of social ownership of productive capital in a single moment, it was hoped. In addition to the uh, colonizationists, uh, who favored concentration of their efforts on building a model economic unit and gaining the achievement of socialism. Through the power of example, there emerged a political action wing 
which sought to achieve socialism through political organization and use of the electoral process, starting with concentration on a, a single state. The colonization scheme failed to materialize by the time of the second convention of the SDA held in Chicago from June 7th to 11th, 1898, and attended by some 70 delegates. Frederick Heath, the first historian of the movement, recounted the gathering in a 1900 book. Chairman Debs presided. Outwardly, the meeting presented the picture of a pleasing and harmonious gathering, creditable to the socialist movement. Under the surface, however, there was a hostility that meant almost certain rupture. The presence of such well-known anarchists as Ms. Lucy Parsons, wife of one of the victims of the outrageous Haymarket trial, Emma Goldman, common-law wife of Berkman, who shot manager Frick at the time of the Homeland strike, and others all enlisted under the colonization wing, the members of which were now using the phrases of the anarchists at sneering at political action, showed that a parting of the ways must come. It rapidly developed that the colonization forces had organized to get control of the convention and had even gone to the length of organizing local branches on paper within three days before the convention in order to increase its list of delegates and make its control a certainty. These branches had been organized by William Burns and the other members of the national board with the exception of uh, Miss, I'm not sure if that's supposed to mean Misters or Mrs. M-E-S-S-R-S. Debson Kalir. In his speech to the convention delivered June 8th, Debs outlined his ideas on the goal of the social democracy and the tactics which the organization had best follow. The mission of social democracy is to awaken, to awaken uh, the producer to a consciousness that he is a socialist and give him courage by changing his conditions. Um, I have not changed in regard to our procedure. Give me 10,000 men, or men, <laughs> wow. <laughs> Give me 10,000 men, aye, 1,000 in a Western state, with access to the sources of production, and we will change the economic conditions, and we will convince the people of that state, win their hearts and their intelligence. We will lay hold upon the reins of government and plant the flag of socialism on the state house. I can act. <laughs> Colonization Committee delivered a lengthy report detailing the proposed purchase of Colorado gold mine and the establishment of a colony around that operation. This imaginative or hallucinatory plan fanned the sentiments of the party's political actionists who called themselves the Antis, who found themselves more anxious than ever to disentangle themselves from what they perceived as an unsavory stock selling scheme. A caucus was held of the anti-faction on the third evening of the convention at which the group determined to fight the colonization program without compromise. During the fourth day of the proceedings on Friday, June 10th, things turned increasingly better when James Hogan delivered a two hour report as vice chairman of the National Executive Board and treasurer, during the course of which he had directly attacked Secretary Sylvester Killer, a political actionist, alleging incompetence or dishonesty. Day was absorbed by a bitter debate over the program of the organization with the main object of division, a minority report put forward by John F. Floyd on behalf of the colonizationists, uh, disparagingly called the gold brick faction by the antis. The arguments went on all day Friday, June 10th, finishing at 2.30 a.m. with a vote in which the colonization minority plank was carried 
by a vote of 53 to 37. The meeting was adjourned and many delegates straggled off the bed. The anti-colonization faction already having decided to depart the organization and establish a political party of their own in the aftermath of the defeat on the colonization issue. The anti-faction gathered in parlor A of the hotel across the street where most of them were staying and in hushed tones continued their discussion until four in the morning. June 11th, 1898 marked the, the conclusion of the Convention of the Social Democracy of America, as well as the day that 33 delegates bolted to hold a meeting establishing themselves as the Social Democratic Party of America. Um, so I want to interject to, uh, I, I guess, the history aspect of it and kind of look at what was being said? What were the aims and objectives of the Social Democratic Party? And Marxist.org has um, a two and a half page paper written by Debs in 1899. It was released. So about a year after that happened. But, um, you know, he wrote out a two and a half page thing. Um, directly talking about what they wanted to achieve. Um, so I'll start right at the top. Stated in a sentence, the aim of the social democracy is the collective ownership of the means of production and distribution and the consequent economic equality of every human being on earth. Simple as this statement is, there are thousands of people of average intelligence who seem unable to grasp the import. They construe it to means all kinds of silly and grotesque things which no socialist dreams of and which makes socialism seem supremely visionary if not ridiculous to so many people the trouble is not with socialism but with what these people imagine to be socialism and we still see that today he wrote that before the red scare if that's not a fucking premonition i don't know what is right I mean, look, at we're fucking entering a second Red Scare, <laughs> you third, know? Third. The uh, second one was third. after World War II. Oh, you're right. You're right. Third. Fuck. Like, it just keeps happening. Every time people start to go, wait a minute, no, I want my rights as a worker to be respected, out comes the fucking pro-capitalist propaganda and, you know, demonizing anything left of hunting the homeless for sport again the nationalization of industry upon a cooperative basis is the aim of social democracy rent interest and profit in every form are to disappear and with them the thousands of parasites who have by such means been able to fasten themselves upon industrial society sap its life currents and sink into fathomless depths of de degradation you know, about 50 years after this, Mao had a, an idea of something to do with those parasites. Right. Some great ideas what to do with that. Oh, man. Also, I, I just got that page to load, so I'm... I mean, I'm kind of just taking a few excerpts from it as I skim through it. Okay. Um... I'm almost at the bottom now. I'm going to read these last two tiny paragraphs on the last, you know, on page three. Wealth creation and health creation will go hand in hand. Then there will be ample leisure for every human being. And in such an invigorating mental and moral atmosphere, the human race will unfold and expand in heart, 
and brain and soul. The cooperation of all, for the good of all, will inspire the love of all. And for the first time since the planet rolled in space, the human race will be civilized. All right, hope to see that within our lifetime. Holy shit. So do we want to talk about the, um, yeah, I guess we should. It's, it's pretty important. Um, because there's technically two social democratic parties of America that were operating at the same time. And it seems like they were loosely aligned and they shared a name, but you know, they had different, different heads and different idealists, so on and so forth. So, um, right. we're going to dive a little bit into Chicago's, uh, social democratic party first. Um, the political action wing of the Social Democracy bolted the final day of the June 1898 Convention of the Social Democracy of America and instead held their own gathering at Hull House on South Halstead Street. Since the gathering was held by a bolting faction of a convention formerly called the Social Democracy of America. Watch the screen, watch the screen. Boom. Turns into boom. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, that was really corny. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> uh, where was I? Oh, yeah. Subsequent party histories do not regard this first organization, uh, first organizational meeting, rather, as a formal convention, although the party organ established at the same time, the Social Democratic Herald, did consider it as such. The fledgling group issued its organizational platform in the form of a statement of principles on June 11, 1898. In this document, the group categorized socialism as the collective ownership of the means of production for the common good and welfare, very Maoist attempt, and called upon, <laughs> prior to Mao, um, and called upon the wage workers and all of those in sympathy with their historical mission to realize a higher civilization to sever ties with existing conservative capitalist and reformist political parties, and to instead work for the establishment of a system of cooperative production and distribution. The split of the social democracy in America into a colonization organization, on the one hand, and the electorally oriented Social Democratic Party of America, on the other hand, demoralized many American socialists. According to uh, founding member Frederick Heath, the split disheartened many socialists so that the party grew very slowly. It was not until fully a year after the split that the real headway began to be made outside of a few party strongholds like Massachusetts, Milwaukee, and St. Louis. Political action faction led by Victor Berger left the party convention and founded the Social Democratic Party as an explicitly socialist alternative to the mainstream parties. Later that year, the Social Democratic Party managed early success when two members of the party were elected to the Massachusetts General Court. The colonizationists had taken the Social Demo uh, Democracy of Americans periodical, Social, De Social Democrat. So the so Social Democratic Party started a new national publication called the Social Democratic Herald, as if that wouldn't be confusing to readers. During the negotiations for the unity of the Socialist Party of America, which we will get to uh, potentially in a second part of this uh, piece, when it was decided that the party would not publish an official national publication, 
So the newspaper was sold to the Milwaukee Social Democrats, led by Victor Berger. Uh, Membership data on, huh, go ahead. No, go ahead. I go ahead. Okay. Membership data on the organization is scarce. In his official report to the 1900 convention of the party, National Secretary Treasurer Theodore Debs, which I think is Eugene's brother. Yeah, um, younger brother. Indicated that as of March 1st, 1900, the dues paying membership of the party was 4,536, participating in 226 active local branches. Of these, the younger Debs brother, there we go, indicated that 985 members and 53 branches had been established during the previous 60 days, implying a significantly lower membership for the years 1898 and 1899. In the 1900 presidential election, Debs stood as the party's presidential candidate and received some 87,000 votes. This was considerably more than the established Socialist Labor Party. And if memory serves right, that was the campaign he ran from prison, right? No, not yet. That's not until the Socialist Party of America. Okay. Uh, his final presidential run wouldn't be until 1920, but he ran every four years. Right. Except okay. for except for 1916 or 1912. I don't know. There was one election that he missed out of like 12. Right. Um, so then Springfield Social Democratic Party, in addition to the Chicago-based Social Democratic Party of America mentioned above, there was a second Social Democratic Party of America based in Springfield, Massachusetts in the second half of the 1890s. The Socialist Labor Party of America was showing signs of growth in size and influence. Divisions arose within the organization over the group's relationship to the uh, American Federation of Labor and the party's internal regime. So I, I just want to interject real quick to say the American Federation of Labor is also going to be part of a piece that we eventually record. Um, kind of the evolution of, kind of like this is the evolution of one organization into, the, into another. I want to do something like that for the AFL and the CIO and the AFL-CIO. Didn't we already do that one? AFL-CIO? I don't think so. No, we talked about it and we started gathering resources for it, but we never got around okay. to filming it. Okay, well... <laughs> There's another one to add to the labor history segments. Right. Uh, um, the organization was deeply split between two hostile groups. On one side was a so-called administration faction represented by the party's national officials, such as Henry Kuhn, Henry Vogt, and Lucien Saniol. Saniol? And the editors and staffs of the official party publications, The People in English, and Vorwarts in German. The regular faction included most pro most prominently Daniel de Leon, the editor of The People and the single most influential individual inside the party. Against their continued reign stood an opposition faction centered on the independently owned German language socialist daily, the New Yorker Volkszeitung. Volkszeitung? I don't know. The, the editor of which was Alexander Jonas. Um, I'm sorry, were you going to interject something? Uh, no, go for it. it. Okay. The latter group was particularly <laughs> hostile to the trade union policy adopted at the 1896 convention, 
believing it to have alienated erstwhile allies and the existing labor movement who thus marginalized the party. It also resented the rigid party discipline practiced by the National Executive Committee, which included the expulsions of dissidents and the suspension of entire sections. This festering split erupted in open conflict in July 1899 over the election of a new general committee akin to a city committee of Section New York, uh, a group to which the 1896 party convention purportedly delegated the power to elect a committee for the national organization. This new committee was to in turn have the power of selecting editors of the party's printed organs. Section New York, narrowly controlled by the dissident faction, elected such a general committee, which met for the first time on July 8th, 1899. This gathering quickly dissolved in acrimony and a second meeting was hastily scheduled to be held two nights later by the dissident faction. The second session elected Henry Slobodin as national secretary and named new editor of the people to replace De Leon, to whom the dissidents felt personal enmity. Um, this action of the dissident general committee was not recognized by the sitting national executive committee. The meeting held to be a legally constitute and the committee and the official press continued to conduct irregular operations. The dissidents declared themselves the rightful owners of the Socialist Labor Party's name, logo, and press, and established themselves as such. Two parallel organizations, each designating itself the Socialist Labor Party and issuing a publication called The People, thus emerged in 1899, naming competing full slates of candidates for the elections of 1899. The matter was taken to the capitalist courts. The dissidents were derisively referred to in polemics as the kangaroos by the regulars, the analogy uh, being drawn between the dissidents' free and loose interpretation of party legality and the calling and conduct of the reorganizational meetings and the kangaroo courts of the Wild West. The dissident faction was bolstered by the support of allies in Chicago, centered on an English language newspaper called The Workers' Call, edited by A.M. Simons. This group initially attempted to circumvent the New York Committee of the Party by declaring itself the official center of the organization in light of the inter-party emergency that erupted in the summer of 1899 as a result of the rupture of Section New York. In response, Section Chicago was suspended by the New York Committee. Dissident Section Chicago moved in fairly short order towards unity with the largely German New York Party right oppositions. An emergency national convention was called by the pro-AFL anti-Dillion kangaroo dissidents. The gathering was held in Rochester, New York, attended by 59 delegates. That's an awful low number compared to the other conventions we've seen. And right. pro proclaimed itself as the official 10th national convention of the Socialist Labor Party. Henry L. Slobodin was formally elected uh, executive Secretary of the Rochester Organization, which tentatively continued to call itself the Socialist Labor Party and to issue its own English language newspaper under the name of the People. Um, the convention repudiated the Socialist Trade and Labor Alliance, the hated uh, dual union umbrella organization established by the regular party in 1896 in opposition to the AFL, 
instead proclaiming its support for the struggles of all trade unions without regard to affiliation. A new platform was adopted and revised, bylaws approved. The gathering also enacted a resolution calling for unity with the Social Democratic Party and named the Unity Committee, headed by Morris Hillquit, to attend the forthcoming convention of the party and to there make a unity appeal. When the New York courts ruled decisively in favor of the claim of De Leon, Kuhn, and the regulars in the matter of the ownership of the name logo and publication of the Socialist Labor Party against the claim of the dissidents, the Rochester group changed the name of their organization to Social Democratic Party of America, anticipating a rapid merger, rapid merger with Berger. Um, Dubs and the Midwestern organization of the same name. The Eastern Group established party headquarters in Springfield, Massachusetts, and became known as the Springfield SDP in distinction to the Chicago SDP. According to the report of National Secretary William Butcher made to the July 1901 convention that established the Socialist Party of America, the Springfield SDP had a paid membership of 5,310 in the continental United States, with another 1,080 members in Puerto Rico, for a total of 6,390 as of January 1st, 1901, a membership of 7,328 in 147 locals was reported by Butcher for the first six months of 1901, with another 82 locals failing to report. Wow. And um, we'll get into the story of how these organizations are tied to the Socialist Party of America and how that uh, evolved into the Socialist Party USA. And at the end of the second piece, we might even, um, you know, throw in um, a little bit about the Green Party, considering that they come heavily out of this tradition. Hell yeah. Um, so that being said, once again, check out our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash for we are many. We have one, three, five, and $10 donation levels. Um, every dollar really does help. Um, let's see. So we have our current event streams on Monday nights, eight o'clock Eastern. Um, we have our Revolutionary Left Book Club, which is now over halfway through Bobby Seale's book, Read, uh, Seize the Time, the Story of the Black Panther Party. Um, and we've been doing that Thursday nights at eight o'clock. Um, and our pre-recorded pieces like this one are just kind of sprinkled through um, just to try to help everybody, you know, learn where our traditions come from, really. Right. And with this series specifically that we're doing right now, this is incremental in understanding both the fracturing that happens amongst the left and maybe learning from that so we can grow from there and reunite the left that fractured into so many different directions. What, from what sounds like basically dick measuring of no, we're the central one. No, we're the central one. Man, it don't matter who's the central organization of the party what matters is working together because our strength is in our numbers i mean the funny thing is is like all the all the people that just left the slp that we were just talking about 
and all the people mm-hmm. that just left are and, and they merged with the social democratic party to create the socialist party like that's right. i mean there were a significant number of them even though they were the minority at times uh there were a significant number of them that that favored that approach the approach of unity there's no reason that you can't improve people's material conditions through electoral reforms knowing that that's not enough knowing that you still need to build socialism under that right that doesn't mean that we shouldn't do one or the other you have to start somewhere and part of that is showing people the benefit of working together as a community and um i mean I can't guarantee it's going to be one of the next pieces because there's so many pieces that I already want to do. Um, but I mean, I think that we should, uh, so like we all know about the Russian revolution, right? Like we're, we're getting up into where that time is approaching, right? In the story of the socialist party of America. And you know, like we need to talk about the October revolution. Uh, in the Russian Republic. We need to talk about the Communist International in 1919, which led to the formation of the Communist Party USA, because that's kind of crucial in understanding what happened to the Socialist Party of America. A lot of people left the Socialist Party for the Communist Party. Right. And, and we can talk about why, for that matter, but I don't know when that piece will come out, frankly. <laughs> Get to. We're building our, our library of history pieces right now. Right, right, absolutely. So whatever day we end up releasing this on, we'll release the second part of it seven days following that, I think is what we'll do. Sounds um, good. Anyway, I hope you all had a happy fourth. Um, I don't really want to say anything else about that holiday. I just hope you enjoyed yourselves. Just enjoy some time off. Barbecue, blow shit up. Enjoy your family's company. You know? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Oh. Um, I'm going to play us out with, uh, well, I mean, it should, should sound pretty familiar once it starts playing. Yeah, we've heard it before, but that's okay. Well, while you get that loaded up, I'll just remind everybody we are on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, um, all over the place, everywhere that you can find podcasts. Yep. And we also have our website, www.forwearemany.org. Hell yeah. If you have any questions for us or if you have any suggestions for us or if you want to join us message our facebook page or send an email to for we are many podcast at gmail.com one of us will get back to you i guarantee it <laughs> anyway enjoy your night good night
blood shall run. There can be no power greater anywhere beneath the sun. makes us strong. Solidarity forever. Solidarity forever. Solidarity forever. For the union makes us strong. It is we who plowed the prairies, built the cities where they trade, dug the mines and built the workshops, endless miles of railroad laid. Now we stand out. They have taken untold millions that they never toiled to earn. But without our brain and muscle, not a single wheel can turn. We can break their haughty power, gain our freedom when we learn that the union makes us strong.